Hey, thanks for checking out another episode of Pod for the Planet. We have a very special episode for you tonight. We have the audio from last week's Late Night for the Planet, which was co-hosted by Ramel here. That's me. Uh, and our good friend, Hadar Pepperstone. That's not me. We'd like to thank our guests. Brian Gilmore, Mark Hamilton, and Shannon Thayer. Uh, for their time being on stage, please enjoy Late Night for the Planet, Just Housing. My name is Hadar Pepperstone. I'm Ramel Pacheco, and I'd like to thank all of you for coming here tonight at Late Night for the Planet. Thanks for joining us. We're here to talk about housing and how it affects all of us. Basically, housing is a major issue that affects all of us. The United Nations estimates that 10 million people worldwide die each year from conditions related to substandard housing. More than 40 million American families find themselves in situations where housing consumes more than 30% of their income. And in many regions of the world, the number of low-income households far exceeds the affordable housing units available. We hope to dig deeper into the issues of housing in Plattsburgh, as well as looking into how marginalized groups, especially those of low income and communities of color, are disproportionately affected by these real issues. But as always on Land for the Planet, we're going to do it in our own way. As Kurt mentioned before, you have a QR code right in front of you. Please take the survey. We want to know about your personal housing experiences. And later on in the show, we're going to find out the results on the PowerPoint. We have incredible guests here tonight, including Brian Gilmore, who runs the Housing Law Clinic at Michigan State University in Lansing, Michigan. We also have Shannon Thayer, who is a graduate of the Center of Earth and Environmental Sciences at SUNY Plattsburgh, and she's currently working on her master's in public administration at UVM. We also have Mark Hamilton, the director of Plattsburgh Housing Authority. Before we bring up our guests, though, we thought it was important to illustrate some of the local housing housing challenges that all residents experience here in and in around Plattsburgh. We know there's national scale housing crisis that's happening right now, but what about the people that we live next to uh, next to each other? Here in Plattsburgh, we mirror many of the national issues. For example, many of us live actually in substandard housing. So there have been a number of house fires in the past few years in Plattsburgh. In 2016, um, Jeff Breno was killed in a fire, a Plattsburgh student. Uh, more fires followed in 2019, including a fire in a senior housing facility that had one fatality. We have other problems too. Neighbors don't always get along, and we have student housing in and amongst single-family homes and businesses. This can create problems. The Hummingbird Bed and Breakfast briefly considered closing, thanks largely to its inc incompatibility with student housing neighbors. Mold, bed bugs, and allergens. Bum, bum, bum. Allergens can, uh, sorry. Mark Hamilton at the Housing Authority deals with many of these works. And as always, the rights of tenants and power of landlords can be, can be a, a power imbalance. New York recently passed a series of laws strengthening tenants' rights, but awareness and implementation remains a challenge. In 2012, the Plattsburgh Press Republican ran a piece on tenants' rights, but these laws have since been changed and we haven't seen equivalent outreach. The Plattsburgh City Court page includes several links explaining the court processes to landlords, but we couldn't find the same resources for tenant rights. SUNY Plattsburgh does offer some resources for students, though. Finally, the Legal Aid Society of New York, with an office in Plattsburgh, offers free and low-cost legal services to those in need. Let's get to our guests. And remember, we want you to fill out the poll, so please do that. We, we printed a lot of QR codes, please. Many trees were sacrificed in doing this. Um, 
We're excited to bring up Brian Gilmore, clinical associate professor and the director of the Housing Law Clinic at Michigan State University College of Law. He is also a published poet, his works often dealing in issues of race, social, and environmental injustices, as well as having written many articles on housing as featured in the New York Times. Please welcome Brian Gilmore. question right so I say you say what am I doing right now so right now one of the big things going on across the United States and in Michigan and where I am I just know it up front is tenants are finally starting to get lawyers in court it's not something that normally happens normally it's like 10% of the tenants have a lawyer 90% of landlords have a lawyer in a in a landlord-tenant dispute. But now it's come to realize that after two, as was reported, there were over two million evictions in the U.S., like in 2016, that that's a bad idea. That you get, people should have a lawyer, just like a criminal defendant has a lawyer in a criminal case. Person being sued to be thrown out of their apartment or their house should have an attorney. That's like a, that's like the really big thing that's going on now. They call it eviction diversion in Michigan, and in other states, like Virginia is establishing a program. Philadelphia is is in the vanguard of doing this, and uh, New York is in the vanguard of doing this, making sure you come to court, you can have a lawyer, and also Cleveland, and because it's you get a better result if you have an attorney. They tell you certain things you could have done or certain things you can do to save your housing because if you don't if you get evicted it's a disaster as i would call civic civic death so to speak you it's a disaster to get evicted so that's the really big thing going on right now and, and, and second question that's first of all that's really shocking that that's like a recent thing that's happening you would think that that would be like a much it's been going for a long time but you know that's not which is something i'm surprised by Something that I'm surprised by that I see. No, no, no. I'm saying that, that the fact that there are that lawyers, the tenants having lawyers is recent, is a recent kind of trend. Is I'm surprised by that, and that's that's right. Yeah. I mean, you can you have a right to a lawyer, right? But you just have no money. So now what they want to do, just like criminal defendants, if you can't afford an attorney, you can you you get one. That's just guaranteed. We we're having a great conversation about that earlier. But now the push now is to move that to some of the civil, civil cases. Yeah. In particular, housing, eviction. You should have a lawyer. It's a very dangerous situation to be evicted and have children who suddenly they're out on the street. You're living in a homeless shelter. You gotta change schools. Your whole life is turned upside down. It's a very dangerous situation. Yeah, and so the second question was, um, what, is the mo what is most important for us to understand or hear about the housing? 
housing crisis? The most important thing about the housing crisis is I would say two things. One thing is the housing crisis is real, much more real than people realize in terms of people being unable in the United States to afford housing. I mean, that's, that's a real crisis. And the second thing is that the United States once had a different approach to housing. They had an actual housing policy. They actually set goals on the number of houses and apartments they would build for low to moderate income people. This was back in the 30s and 40s. They have since abandoned that program. That's why people cannot afford it because everything has shifted to a market-based approach to providing housing. They just said the, the, the market, the developers, and they'll provide all the housing that we need. But everybody probably knows, most people in the room probably know that that is not going to cut it. Even people who make a good salary in some of these cities cannot afford housing. And that's what is the big thing is there's no, no cognizant housing policy in the United States with regards to low to moderate income Americans. Can you tell us about a typical case that you would have at the housing clinic? A typical case would be, I mean, somebody, I mean, a case we had a couple weeks ago, an individual, he was a veteran, he was a truck driver, he suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. He uh, had to. He had a episode. He had to get off the. He had to get off the road for a month, so he lost a month of pay. Fell behind. Got behind. He got sued in court. Got taken to court. So we get to court and we find out all of this had happened to him. He's perfectly capable of working. Perfectly capable of supporting his family who lived there with him. He just couldn't work for a month, so then he didn't have the money, so he fell behind. So what we did was we spoke to the attorney for the landlord, worked out a deal for him, worked out a plan for him to catch up his payments that that he could work with, and uh, got him in contact with some veterans organizations that also could help him out, help him with some money, some funds, put him in touch with some, uh, put him in touch with some individuals in Michigan, government who could help him with some funds to bridge some of the uh, financial challenges he had. And you know, he's, he's, it's, it's been a little while, but his, his life is back on track. But that's a typical kind of case we see. Most of the cases we see are individuals who just, they, they had a stroke of bad luck and they fell behind in their rent and they just need a little bit of help to get them back on track. And a lot of times the landlords are very empathetic to that view because they really do want a tenant. They really do want a tenant who they can rely upon to pay in that apartment. But their only means to making something happen is to take them to court, so that's what they do. But, and then, and then we step in and we try, the students who I supervise step in and try to help these individuals out. But that's a typical case that we get every week. Something just like that. Jesus. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Brian, you're an artist. You write poetry. Yes. You you've written books. You've been published. All that good stuff. Um, so, my question to you is, what are your intentions for your poetry? Are you trying to inspire others to be more uh, socially active? Are you trying to raise awareness? What What do you want your readers to see in your poetry? And get that get your message. Like, what message do you want your readers to have? Good question. Thanks a lot. 
So, I mean, I always had the approach of, I was, I was always interested in the content when I wrote poetry, when I began to get serious about it, I was always interested in the content of it. Because I believe that uh, art, art brings out the humanity in us. It's, it's the human side of us that a lot of people take for granted. Uh, music does the same thing, dance, art, I mean visual art, paintings, all of that falls into the same category. And that's all, that's all I've ever tried to do with my poetry is speak to issues that go to the heart of uh, the human condition and the struggle for, I mean, equal justice for everyone in our society. I think that's what everybody wants is to have a functioning equal society that people can make a constructive existence out of. And that's kind of like, that's the approach I've always taken in my work. And most of my books are about that kind of thing try to meld all that together. The, the ideas, history, politics, uh, social social issues, try to move them all into one thing. Of course, try to uh, work music into it as well. That's that's always been my approach. Music? You do yeah. music too? I try to fuse it into my work. Ah, cool. You play instruments? I used to play bass guitar. And used a blues, to? And a blues band. Well, you were part of blues? <laughs> like, a, like a band? I used to play in a blues band. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm, taking, I'm taking a class on uh, blues, actually. Say go with it. Yeah. <laughs> so can you tell us how your, your poetry is part of your social, social, social justice advocacy and your legal work? How does it play into it? Uh, like if we had a talk earlier, and I was just saying, like when I first started out, they seemed like they were two separate things. But eventually, I, I reached the point where I just felt like it was just one thing, where it was, where poetry was, poetry was humanity and advocacy, and my legal work was the same thing. I wanted to help out those who could not afford lawyers, and so it, it all became one thing. And that's that's always been my approach, and it continues to be my approach even today. Um, there are a lot of famous poets who were lawyers and doctors and things like that. Most poets are not like poets. They don't walk around being a poet. There are a lot of other things. William Carlos Williams was a medical doctor. Wallace Stevens was a lawyer. So, but my thing was, I am who I am, and I am the whole thing. I'm a, I'm a public interest lawyer, law professor, but also a writer, poet, artist, so to speak. So it's, to me, it's all one thing. Nice. So, you have your book there. Yeah. Um, we would like you to read Small Town Folklore, actually. And not many of us, well, not everyone is familiar with poetry. Sometimes it can be difficult to understand, especially poetry that relates to social. There's a picture behind her. That's you? That was a while ago. How long? Uh, <laughs> But how how old are you? Like, you know? Oh man, that's probably uh man, what is it? I'm probably in my forties. Forties? Yeah. Not younger? Maybe like twenty. Maybe maybe like thirty five. Like thirty. No, I'm probably like forty. Anyways, your poem, sir. Okay, this poem is from my book. It just came out on Wayne State Press.
come see about me, Marvin, but this poem is called Small Town Folklore. And uh, it's a very surprising poem for me, but it's, it's, it's one of my favorites from the book. Says he rides to court on a horse. And I don't mean a motorcycle, saddled and all, no rifle strapped to his back, no cigar in his mouth, but he rocks cowboy boots with the best. If Michigan had the death penalty, he would have sent more than a few to the gallows. All women he encounters, no matter how old, are called by their first name. Remember those old Western films when the judge ran the whole territory? Yet when I sit down in front of him, it feels like I am suddenly on a sun porch. Ice cold lemonade, banana bread, just out the oven. Some hospitality to speak of above the Mason-Dixon. I am somebody for a moment, not some museum piece. I am more than blue blazer, gray slacks, fake Oxford tie. I am part of the American epic, a tale of effort and endurance that makes some hearts skip. Men place their hands there when Francis Scott Key's best get looped again. If it was not here, standing, sitting, showing some it was all worth the fight, things might fall apart again like the Union, 1861. He would have fought in that war, given his life without regret like the million. He believes in all of it 10 times more than I ever can. And he believes that my suit and tie and the legal papers in my lap, I too would lay down my life so others might live for this. I got to be honest, I do like sun porches, love banana bread, but all of it makes my head hurt most days. I don't even know who I am really. My mother, grandchild of sharecroppers, my father had to ride on the back of the bus when he was in the army. If I remind him of this, he just says, I need to live in the here and now. But I am in the here and now, in his territory, where people say he rides a horse to work and everyone laughs at all of his jokes. He calls all women by their first names and no one ever says anything. And the war has not been won no matter what he might believe. This is his house. I am just a visitor. When I exit the doors, I will ride fast on my horse back to some place that will never feel like home. That was amazing. Um, Brian, after reading your poetry, it has actually inspired me to write my own. So I was wondering if you'd like to hear some of mine. That's okay. We're going off script, everyone. Is it a good idea? Is it, Kurt? That's a wonderful idea. All right. I call this one Union Square Park. This is the story of my first love. Their name is, the next stop is Union Square Park, 14th Street. We met through my mother, actually. Unlike all the others, this one wasn't a tragedy. I believe the first time I met them was around this time at Halloween, at a parade. The experience cut me deeper into my heart than any other blade. Union Square Park has a special place in my heart. Going out for pizza, my favorite comic book store, seeing my friends at work, skate session, the farmer's market, Kellogg's store, $2 dumplings and ice cream, slam poetry, rap ciphers, having, get, getting caught hopping turnstiles, conversations with artists at 12 a.m., watching movies, literally having almost all my first dates at Union Square. No matter where I was in Manhattan, I would somehow meet my love by the end of the day. But of course, the city is bigger than just a couple of streets, despite all the good eats. 
So in the famous words of our Princess Nokia, I'ma hit the barrio and eat some Spanish food. I'ma send Central Park, I'm in New York mood. Now it's time to go home, so, I throw, so I'm thrown in a tunnel of darkness, surrounded by strangers, twisting and twer turning, and sneak of roller coasters that only cost $2.95, or delish delicious dumplings at Chinatown. Here we are, home, City Island, Orchard Beach, home of the Yankees, and the birthing place of hip hop, a place where politicians saw destruction and disease, but now they are at ease once they take notice of the power of gentrification. There are no bookstores here, so I go to Union Square to buy books. Why do I need to give up a meal to get some books? Well, now I feel underprepared. <laughs> Next! I don't have anything. Why are you looking at me? Thank you for the for Also, you. Thank you for reading your poems. It was wonderful. You inspired me. So. Next up, joining us on stage is Shannon Thayer. She is an alum of the Center of Earth and Environmental Sciences at SUNY Plattsburgh, the best department. Um, she is currently studying for her Ooh. master's in public administration at UVM. Shannon has lived in local housing for many years and is here to share her experiences with us. Thank you for joining us. So I haven't prepared any poetry and I'm really sorry. It's all good. I obviously didn't get the memo, so. Also, really fun um, fact about my profile pic, that actually was a selfie taken in the Hudson basement because I had been working for like 13 hours straight on a research project. And this picture has haunted me ever since. So I'm really excited that this is what they decided to go with. Only the best. So, tell us the weirdest thing that has happened to you when you were a resident here in New Plattsburgh. Or something interesting. Okay, Something so, that sticks out of your mind that so, you'll never forget. The, okay, so the thing that sticks out of my mind the most didn't happen in my apartment. It was in a friend of mine's, <laughs> which the landlord shall really remain nameless, but um, he was living in one of those like cookie cutter apartments you see all over Plattsburgh where, you know, like it's just units stacked on top of units. So, you know, your bathroom is below somebody else's bathroom kind of situation. And the neighbor above him was in the habit of taking long baths, and sometimes she would fall asleep and let the water run. And so he had this nice ring of black mold in the outline of the tub <laughs> above him. It was kind of just a thing he accepted because you know he told his landlord about it many times, and it just kind of got blown off. Well, one particular evening, she actually let the water run so much that the water started to actually leak through the floor. The best thing about this apartment, though, was that they decided to put the electrical panel in the bathroom. Why? So, at the time I was working overnights, which my buddy was as well, so sometimes, you know, like after work, we'd both be wired up and drinking caffeine all night because that's the only way you can stay awake on the mental health unit in the hospital, to just out of caffeine. So, it's six in the morning, we're both wired because we've been drinking Red Bull all night, and we start hearing water. We're thinking, oh, this is like, this is so pleasant. It's like a water fountain. Maybe we'll actually, you know, like, maybe I'll go home and go to bed. Maybe, you know, like, we won't fall on lighter and, you know, stay up all day. And then we realize the sound of water is coming from his bathroom, but his tub is not. So we run in to see what the problem is. And we see water gushing through his electrical panel. Oh, no. So at this point, 
we've been up all night. We have no idea what's going on. And he's like, what should I do? I've never really rented a place before. It was his first apartment ever. So I said, well, call your property manager. They should know what to do about this. So he's really panicky. He calls the 24-hour line because they have an actual legit property manager that manages this apartment complex. So he calls this guy. It's like 7 in the morning at this point. And he says, I don't know what to do. There's water gushing through my electrical panel. All the electric electricity in my house is on. What am I going to do? I feel like this is really this is really bad. The property manager says, yeah, it's probably not that bad. And he's up on him. Oh. So luckily he didn't die. Neither of us got electrocuted. But it was just such a quintessential moment of like just all of the experiences I've had over the years in the housing industry. That's, that's crazy. Why was the panel in the bathroom? Who made that choice? The place I'm currently living in, the panel's outside, so. That's smarter. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's, that's where I was watching again, sorry for the moment. Um, so what do you wish was more understood about housing issues and people in difficult housing situations? I think one of the big things in Plattsburgh that everybody has realized is that not everybody that's in a difficult situation is in the Plattsburgh Housing Authority. And I think the problem is, is that there's a lot of landlords in Plattsburgh that are taking advantage of people that are vulnerable because, first of all, there's just a huge waiting list for Plattsburgh Housing Authority. And secondly, some people just aren't comfortable asking for that level of help or don't want that sort of invasive feeling of, you know, there's so much information you have to provide to the Housing Authority in order to get into those apartments. So. Some people just accept housing arrangements that are really abusive. And there's so many horror stories I've heard from friends and from just people I talk to randomly through my housing, various housing experiences. I've lived in Plattsburgh since 2001, so pretty lengthy history of just hearing horrible things. So yeah, I think it's just keeping in mind that like some people that are really vulnerable are running just from landlords who aren't necessarily ill-intentioned, but just in their absenteeism are creating some really unsafe housing situations. So so how, how can colleges and communities work together to avoid substandard living conditions? Like you said, how a lot of people, they're not comfortable with sharing a lot of information. Like how do we, how do we also like get to that, that population of people to encourage them that like this is a you you should do this to avoid living in unhealthy conditions. Well, housing is definitely not my area of expertise. Right. I don't know why I'm up on the stage right now, but um, I definitely think one of the big steps is that you know just getting that communication between local government. You know, there are people like the the zoning enforcer and all those individuals in local government that you know, like just being, keeping that dialogue open and keeping it more active, I think would be fantastic. And just having that same sort of level of just like inspections with housing, especially, I mean, there's so many students in Plattsburgh that have been put in such horrible housing situations because, you know, there's just not that piece there where like we make sure that when you move off campus, you know, you're moving somewhere that's safe and we know that, you know, there's like a fire escape or just something really basic like that. So. Right. Well, we hope that our next and final guest that's going to be coming up here will delve into that some more. Um, he started his career in acting, 
Mark Hamilton, the director of Plattsburgh Housing Authority. The PHA houses about 10% of Plattsburgh residents and owns eight major facilities. Their goal is to provide housing for people of modest means or in some really dire housing situations. Mark has done lots to build community, health, and safety at these properties. A Plattsburgh native, Mark has also done work over the years with NGOs and nonprofits. Please welcome Mark Hamilton to the stage. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me and giving me a microphone. <laughs> Feel feels empowered. Okay. What are some of the biggest housing issues facing residents in Plattsburgh, and what evidence do you see of the national housing crisis playing out locally? Wow, you're not going to ease into this. No. No. Shannon, can I borrow this real quick? Yeah, totally. So. <laughs> perfect. So I think. I think that there is, I think that there is, there's a lot of issues. Um, there's a lot of issues in Plattsburgh that we have. Yeah. Maybe now. He's a loud guy. So there's a lot of issues in Plattsburgh um, that relate to housing. One of the biggest issues um, that Shannon touched on in some degree with absentee. The Housing Authority has a voucher program. We have 201 vouchers, which means we have uh, residents, participants of a voucher program living in market rate housing in the city of Plattsburgh in 201 units. Those units get inspected every year. There are some people that go off the program and some that come on, so maybe 230 inspections a year is, is what we should do. In 2017, we did almost 600 inspections, and that's because the inspections fail, and we have to go back in and go back in, and that's because the condition of the units are such that they're not safe, and they don't provide a healthy, safe environment for families. So that's probably the biggest current issue with the plastic. There's not enough affordable housing, but the stock that exists isn't maintained to the level that it needs to be. Thank you. Um, so, as I mentioned before, you're an actor, but... <laughs> I'm up here. <laughs> you are. Um, but you also, after graduating high school, hitchhiked to LA trying to be a famous actor and a rock star, right? Can you, can you like, can you tell us? Can you... Yeah, so... Delve into that, please. So, I don't know if hitchhiked is accurate. Um, I, I was very fortunate and, and had some assistance. I flew uh, out, out to Los Angeles. Well, that's not what Kurt told us. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kurt, Kurt and I were drinking. The story could have been a little different, of course. Uh, but I, I did go out west to pursue music and acting a lot. So, how famous are you? How famous are you, please? Uh, well, I'm up here. Uh, so, yeah. very famous. Hey. The best of the best. Woo! the best of the best of I'll sign autographs in the back later. Right? Oh, That's cool. <laughs> I'm not signing anything that came out of your pocket. <laughs> so, I Googled your, your name, right? And I Photoshopped the face to slash, but after seeing your face, it's not your face. It's the um, 
I love it. So I, I love still it. want your autograph. <laughs> I will sign Matthew Wade's face. That's <laughs> I love it. Yeah, as you should. If I see that on eBay, I'm coming after you. I'll outbid you. I'll trust eBay, so. So, can you tell us your weirdest experience when you're moving out west, and also the housing conditions or your housing experiences in LA too? Oh, wow. There's probably not enough beer in this bar to talk about the housing conditions in California. Um, so. California is the wealthiest state in the nation, and it is a mecca of technology, right? Um, and it has probably the greatest housing crisis in the country. There are about three and a half million housing units or homes short, so the need is astronomical. Um, and you're talking about, I think, um, like the Bay Area has eight or nine different counties. I think they have a GDP, those eight or nine counties, of roughly $750 billion, uh, which is more than Switzerland, more than Saudi Arabia, and they can't figure out housing. And it all stems from the, the lack of housing. So then you have artificially inflated value of what exists. It cr it's, it's an incredible problem. In California, they open parking lots at night so homeless people can go and stay in parking lots that then have to obviously clear out in the morning so that they, but they don't have places to put people. Uh, it's an incredible situation in California. Um, Follow-up question, um, this might be stupid, but. That was really, really, like a downer, huh? That wasn't a downer. Sorry. So you <laughs> we went from talking about your fame to like yeah. Well, that's, that's like my fame. Yeah, and they right open parking yeah. lots for homeless people to sleep in. That's where we're yeah. at right now. Yeah. So it's a metaphor. So you. Oh, I had a follow-up question too. Um, so you stated how that there are parking lots just for people to stay in. So why? can't they turn those parking lots into housing? That's a good question, but there are, the, the zoning laws in California are, um, are such that they don't, they don't encourage housing developments, they encourage single family homes, and you have, you know, there are some towns, um, Atherton, for example, I believe, the average median price for a home is like eight and a half million dollars. Um, you're not gonna, you, you just, they're just, the zoning laws and, and the scarcity that creates the value of property just doesn't allow for it. Yeah, um, so as evidenced yes, by, your, by your last answer, um, like we know the housing crisis is awful, and we know that there are major housing, housing issues all over the country and also in Plattsburgh, um, but you help people to get back on their feet. We do. So what are some of the most gratifying or inspiring stories you can tell us about residents of PHI? Oh, there's so many. So uh, we just recently, six months ago or so, we had a woman who had come to our housing with uh, two children uh, a few years ago um, as a victim of domestic violence. 
and our tenant relations coordinator worked with her and the children went to the youth center that we have, the Ted K Center. And over the course of a couple of years, uh, she was able to get employed. She was able to create enough of a, of a um, she had enough money. She moved out, she bought a home actually straight across the street from the housing authority's administrative offices. Super fantastic story. Really dedicated, wonderful person who fell on hard times. Um, it was in an, an awful relationship, and when she left the relationship, she had left everything. So she needed the resources that we had. We were able to provide those to her, and she was able to move on. We have kids that go through the the youth center, the Ted K Center, all the time. Uh, they, you know, we we give out scholarships um, for for some kids. We've had scholarships go to help. Uh, we had a young lady who became a pharmacist. Um, just really fascinating stories. Really, really fascinating stories. Yeah. I think that story is particularly important because I feel like when we think of housing issues, we think mostly black mold or asbestos or um, just shitty housing. But I think it's also important to highlight that sometimes housing issues are domestic uh. abuse or substance abuse. So. Yeah, generally housing challenges are created by something else. Yeah. So to get to the root of it, you've got to figure out what that is. Yeah. All righty. You all answered poll questions. At least I hope you all did. Um, we did tell you. Um, we asked you 10 questions. Um, some of them, uh, let's see, blah, 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 blah. Some of our questions explored housing injustices or maybe had some housing privileges. So here are our results. So uh, I think we're going to scroll through them, kind of take a look, take a gander through the results. Yeah, fancy. Yes, and everyone. Was that a short joke? I was going to say, no. what the hell? <laughs> I, I can't see her, so I thought she can't see I get her. that I'm the shortest person on stage, but so I'm not sure me. how... Hadar is shorter than me. I, I'm, I'm short. Oh, I got that highly. I'm sure. Okay, so um, I'm, I think we're going to... How clearly can people see the numbers on in the pie charts? Like, like, really good. Okay, so I, so I can, I can read That's this. why okay. there's colors. Yes, colors. <laughs> so, okay. So the first question is, do you own or rent your home? Um, so about a third of people said they rent. Less than a third said they live in institutional housing, like a residence hall or assisted living. Less than a third said um, they own their home. And about 8% said they do not know or prefer not to answer. Um, have you ever lived within walking distance of a park, neighborhood, woodlot, slash forest, or other green space? 95% of people said yes. So that's, 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 yeah. yeah, sure. Um, have you ever been homeless? Uh, we have 87% people said no, and 13% said yes. Um, have you ever lived in a house or apartment with black mold? Um, Almost half of you, well, yes, more than half of you said yeah, uh, no, and then a third said yes, and then 15% don't know. You should probably figure that out if, <laughs> if you do or don't. <laughs> how many people responded to these polls? Yeah, oh, how many did? There's, yeah, there's about like 60 responses, 55 responses, that's awesome. Um, so have you ever lived within walking distance of a large industrial site, such as a landfill, incinerator, factory, or energy plant? About 65% said no, and 35% said yes. Have you ever lived in a gated community? 
95% said no, and only therefore 5% said yes. Have you ever lived within walking distance of a major highway or interstate? We have 42% that said no, and 57% that said yes. Have you ever lived in a house or apartment with lead contamination? Eight, uh, was that that? Okay, 46 said no. No, 64. 64, I know my numbers, I'm really bad at numbers. Um, 64 said no, 20% said yes, and 50% should probably figure out if they live in an apartment with lead contamination. <laughs> don't Don't taste the paint chips. Have you ever lived in all-campus student housing? 63% said no, and 37% said yes. Have you ever lived in a, in a house or apartment with asbestos? 60% um, said no, 25% said yes, and 70% again, need to get that checked out. <laughs> Have you ever had a bed bug infestation? 92% said no, 7% said yes. That's, that's great. Have you ever lived in a house or apartment with your own bedroom? 93% said yes, and 7% said no. And have you ever lived in public or Section 8 housing? 90% said no, 7% said yes. So which of the following are you experiencing currently in your housing situation? So we have 51% uh, saying noise pollution. Is that, is that right? You kind of cut off there. All right. Um, 30% saying indoor allergens, 21% saying difficulty finding housing that allows risk, wait, that allows... There's children or pets. Oh, it's kind of cut out there. Do. The what? Hey, I'm a college student, so I'm trying to figure that out. Still working on it, yeah. Still working on it, I'm on the grad. Um, 0% for lead contamination, which is pretty good, excellent. Um, Safety risks, 27%. See, uh, really old furniture, carpet, 6%. Lack of regular maintenance, 1%. And from landlord? <laughs> Lack of regular maintenance. Lack of regular maintenance. Oh, Basically, okay. there's a lot of people who live with various Ooh. housing conditions that are not ideal. How long is this? Jesus. <laughs> Have, you ever been involved? Have you ever been involved in a housing court case? 91% said no, and 6.3% said yes, thank you. Um, have you ever been unfairly treated by a landlord or mortgage loan officer? 77% said no, and 23% said yes. Have you ever been evicted from housing? 92% said no, 7% said yes. Okay. Cool. Little... Thank, you. thank you all for filling that out. Thank you. Good so, colors. They were, they were really so um, Do these uh, numbers reflect national trends? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. I would say, I'm not, I'm not sure. I want to say a comment about one question, the one about the mold. Yeah. It's about a thousand different kinds of mold. So just because you have black mold, this is to assure people, just because you have black mold don't mean your life is in danger. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it could be, it could be in danger, but it's probably a good Um, Shannon, um, I know you're not an expert in housing, but tell us what you think. Um, I was actually expecting some of the poll results to be a little bit different. I was actually, especially the like repairs, you know, for landlords, because um, currently the place I'm living in has a giant hole in the foundation. <laughs> so, 
so like that's not fun. I was not expecting to be in like the one percent of people that's having people having problems with that. Um, but yeah, it was actually um, it makes me a little bit more optimistic about the housing situation. Though I will have to say that if you live in Plattsburgh, you live within walking distance of a highway and an industrial site, no matter where you are. So you should probably think about that a little bit more. Based on your experience at PHA, do these results accurately reflect Plattsburgh housing? I think that I think they represent a norm, but I think that there's like huge variances in those experiences for people. So, sure. so um, moving on to our kind of next big idea. Um, in urban areas, the environmental movement has started focusing on placemaking. That is creating community through the way that we design city spaces. This means designing streets, buildings, neighborhoods, and public spaces to create interactions that build relationships. But often, placemaking projects occur in wealthier neighborhoods and central business districts. What are some cool things that you're seeing? In, there's a number of questions. So, what are some cool things you're seeing in placemaking in your own work? How can we make sure that the advantages of placemaking projects are available in all neighborhoods, not just the wealthy ones? And how can we do that? How can we engage in placemaking while also avoiding gentrification? So I can repeat those if that would be helpful. <laughs> the questions. Who are you asking? All of you. But yeah. I guess all, yeah, all of you. So I can start um, since I grabbed my microphone first. Um, we're seeing a, a public housing especially is um, going through some significant changes nationwide. And many of those changes are coming from HUD. And we're bringing private capital into public housing to redo and renovate and build new and all of these things. And many of those projects um, are creating spaces where there are all kinds of public spaces, there's education spaces, they're bringing industry into uh, public housing environments, so there's places for people to uh, work or, or get educated or childcare, all kinds of things. So we're seeing trends like that in the industry across the nation. So I guess I get to be the jerk. <laughs> Woo! Any, any insight you have is valuable. All opinions, please. Okay, so I think placemaking is a fantastic movement in planning. However, my big issue with it is I feel like it also becomes this thing that kind of, it's a vehicle that perpetuates NIMBYism, which for those of you outside of the playing field, it's the whole not in my backyard syndrome. So I feel like one of the things as planners, for all of the others that are in the environmental planning and management, one of the things that we need to be really aware of is that as much as we try to encourage this development of place, we also have to be really aware that the more that you encourage the development of place and pride in place, that you also have to be aware that that also perpetuates this problem of people not wanting certain things in their backyard. So you have to find this balance between, you know, you want to be where you are, but you also want them to realize that they're not squashing somebody else's rights to a place. So just the whole social justice aspect of it, and I don't know, I'm like trailing and totally losing my thought here, but that's like my big issue with it. Is no, that that's, that's a really valuable thing. I haven't thought about it like that. Because, you know, it's one thing to say I want my area to be beautiful and green and lovely, but like you're also like maybe pushing people out that way. And like, then if there's something, if someone is in a negative situation, whether it's like a bad housing situation, then that becomes like an affront to 
the identity of the place, and you don't want that to happen. Yeah, and I think one of the things I've seen overall is just there's just this perpetual, just institutional thing that carries over where we're just consistently disadvantaging the same groups of people. And as much as we want to say placemaking is this fantastic thing, if we're not also creating this awareness of how it's also perpetuating this negative aspect of it, we're really doing our community disservice. For sure. Thank you. Brian, do you have thoughts on placemaking? And have, have, have you seen it kind of play out in your work? Uh, I guess I'll pull from both what Shannon and Mark said. And I don't really see that many positives in it yet. I mean, I guess it's in its early stages. Uh, I'm exposed to a lot of cities in my work. Also, I travel a lot back home to Washington, D.C. And what I see a lot of is a lot of displacement, I would say, of communities that were there for a long time with other things. And there's no regard for the individuals who used to live in these communities. There's it's a shift, of, it's just a movement of people. It's a, kind of a colonial kind of approach. I think it can be corrected. I think it can be, it can become better, but I haven't seen much positive at this point. Like Detroit was a perfect example. Most of the development in Detroit is downtown. It's not in the neighborhoods. Those neighborhoods are still bombed out, uh, post-industrial neighborhoods. Flint is in the same way. Flint doesn't even have uh, clean water. Flint does have some of this placemaking going on, and so does Detroit. So I think the really thing I'll go back to, though, is um, I think they really need a coherent housing policy in the U.S. and in the various states. It just, right now, it's public housing, as uh, Mark mentioned, is, is, is kind of like on its own to try to do some of these things, but there's no real commitment. There's, they talk about cutting money everywhere they cut. Instead of giving more vouchers, they're giving less vouchers. And vouchers have a good aspect to it known as mobility. You, you can move. You can take your voucher and move around to a community that you already like. It's already developed. So I'm kind of ambivalent about it. I would say right now I don't see that, that much positive in, in my world, so to speak. Right. It's like how do you develop an area but also keep its identity intact, especially for those that are marginalized uh, systematically? Um, question for Mark: What projects have you taken have taken place in PHA that contribute to placemaking? I don't know that we've really done anything um, at least in my tenure there that would really qualify. Well. If you were to create a placemaking plan, how would you go about it then? Or what would be included in that as well? After listening about like what placemaking is and what it does, what would you consider in possibly doing that for in PHA? I don't know. I think for, so. The housing authority, we're constantly looking at ways that we can better what we do and ways that we can offer more for the community. Um, but at the end of the day, we're landlords and we understand and recognize that. And so what we want to do is to, is to maximize what we have, the skill set that we have, the properties that we have. Um, so for us, you know, future development is for the housing authority 
is really going to be about um, redeveloping the housing that we have. It's not going to dramatically change neighborhoods, and you know what I mean. I mean, we're going to be serving the same people. We hope to be doing that in a better way. We hope to be doing that with uh, upgrades and renovations, and, and make their life and their life in our housing better. Um, but I don't know that it's going to drastically change what we do. I don't know that that will ever change. Oh. Well, that not something that at all. But, alright. Um, so, before we open questions for the audience, Brian, we have a particular poem that we've probably favorited, favorited um, Flint Michigan Blues. And um, it's all about the <laughs> environmental injustice crises that have been happening in Flint, Michigan. So we want you to read that for us, please. All right, this is called Flint River Blues. And uh, I'm pretty sure most people know the story by now. And this is a form, African-American poetry form called Sister Blues. Water's polluted. Governor knows we not supposed to drink. Water's polluted. Governor knows we not supposed to drink. My kids wake up in the morning and say, Daddy, I feel like I can't think. Fat cats change the water. The stuff their pockets with loot. Fat cats change the water. The stuff their pockets with loot. Got nothing to do with people. We manure on the bottom of a boot. It's all about the money. That's how it's always been. It's all about the money. That's how it's always been. Governor would let 50 die if he knew it was saving 10. We stood in line for water in some dead of winter days. Stood in line for water in some dead of winter days. The way these people government just call it their evil ways. All the folks in power say they didn't know we was drinking death. All the folks in power say they didn't know we was drinking death. Emails say they liars and my name is not Macbeth. Media finally showed up, exposed this crime to all. Media finally showed up, exposed this crime to all. Governor and all his bureaucrats need to take a fall. Gonna be a long time before this is over. I guess you heard it on the news. Gonna be a long time before this is over. I guess you heard it on the news. And we will never let the world forget about the Flint River Blues. Like a movement of like five million poems, and, and all these books came out about it. 
So it's definitely like can take on that kind of power. So all art is propaganda. Even if you try to avoid, even if you try to avoid saying anything, you've said something that people don't realize. It's almost like when you don't vote, you don't vote, you still voted. Um, so Mark and Shannon, has there, you've been in Plattsburgh for a long time, um, and has there ever been a time where art has been a positive force in your lives or in the lives of anyone close to you that you observed? I feel like if you say no to this, I feel very sad for you. <laughs> I think, you no. know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, I already felt kind of sad, but that just made it a little worse. <laughs> I think, I mean, there's so many fantastic things going on art-wise within, you know, our community locally with the Outside Art Project. They have so many beautiful murals around the classroom. It's fantastic. You know, I think anything that, makes you pause for a second and really truly appreciate the place you live in and then in the greater lake champlain basin um there's a couple of communities and i think vermont right now that are using art to draw attention to the fact that certain sewage drains drain directly to the lake and i think that's just such a beautiful thing to kind of connect people in a different way through the use of something so highly visual because i think a lot of times you know you get kind of stuck in that rut of like you know, I go to work, I go home, I cook dinner, I go to bed, and just having that moment of seeing something really, truly beautiful that takes you out of that routine for even five seconds is just a super powerful thing, and I really appreciate the people in our community that do that stuff for us. Woo! I, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think art, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a musician, um, I've been in, yeah, I'm, I've been influenced by uh, you know I spent a, a good portion of my formative years listening to various punk rock bands. Um, Wait, those are top three right now. Uh, right now, um, well, 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 I mean, Rise Against, Anti Flag, Black. and Bad Religion. Black. But I think you know now. Now that I have, now that I have children, and will they also listen to punk rock? No, no. It's actually a battle in the house. I lose every time. But my children are one of my children specifically has really gravitated to the arts. She she dances. She's uh, she paints and draws and just has uh, just an amazing love for the arts. Um, and so for all the other stuff that, that Brian and Shannon have mentioned, but as a, as a parent to be able to see that and to see the joy that it brings her and uh, how the other family members and her friends react to it, it's, it's, a, really, it's a really powerful thing. You make me want to have kids now. Don't, don't, don't. No. It seems pretty happy. I love them. I do, I swear. <laughs> I feel like we were actually talking. Hey y'all, Ramel here. Check in next week for our spooky cryptid episode. Ooh. Our Halloween special, y'all. It's going to be super exciting. We're going to have some really fun guests on. It's going to be a really fun time. Expect that to post sometime soon. Um, as always... Thanks for listening to the episode. 
Uh, please, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Drop a comment. Leave us a message. Uh, give us five stars. It really helps out. Tell your friends about us. Tell your family. Every man, woman, and child you know, honestly, should be listening to Pod for the Planet. It's what all the cool kids are doing these days. And I am a cool kid, and I do, in fact, listen to Pod for the Planet. Boom. Exactly. Thanks for listening. Have a nice night.